Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Zechariah 7, verse number 5. The Bible says, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years did ye at all fast unto me, even to me. And when ye did eat and when ye did drink, did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves for a little while tonight i would like and this is this is just simply an overview this is not a detailed or in-depth study all right this is an overview i like to concentrate this evening on a, another spiritual discipline of the scripture and that is fasting this evening all right uh, i have times past uh collectively and it happens in scripture collectively they called for a fast among the people and we have done that in times past five day seven day fast uh, in the past but um, and I've had people sometimes say or maybe not even really know well what's the whole purpose you know behind this practice and so again we want to revisit that and this spiritual discipline of, of fasting and I'm just giving you an overview tonight but I will give you a recommendation a recommended uh, reading if you will at the end of the service if you would like to delve into that just a little further amen but fasting tonight let the Lord help us Jesus I come to you tonight Lord I'm grateful Lord for your people Lord who have come together Lord Jesus in this place and in this house I pray oh Lord anoint our hearts anoint our minds God grant us understanding this evening God as we would share from your word I know God that you're able to help us God, as we look, Lord, at this precious discipline, Lord, God, that we incorporate or should at least incorporate, God, into our lives, God, according to your word and according to scripture. God, I thank you and I'll praise you, Lord, for what you do, Lord, heightening our understanding, enlighten our minds, God, through and by your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Zechariah is just a springboard, okay? Because if we were to really start considering the various scriptures that concern or somehow link to fasting, fasting, uh, they are numerous. Uh, probably every bit of, from uh, what I could gather today, every bit of a hundred plus scriptures that concern just this uh, idea and topic of fasting. And I believe, and we say this oftentimes, but if you see that occurrence in scripture uh, like that so numerous then it, it, it demands our attention it demands our attention and yes it is important uh, not just for then but even for now now I understand you start mentioning fasting and people's putting locks on their cupboards and uh, you know their stomach rumbles just at the word of fasting amen but uh, there is some vital importance to it. In Zechariah 7, at this stage in Scripture that I read to you this evening, the questions asked in these two verses were emphasizing a truth that had been betrayed. 
or perhaps a truth that had been misappropriated even. At this particular place in Scripture, the people still held some fast days and some times that they revered and set aside for fasting, but they had lost the purpose in their fasting. The motive in their fasting was impure. And so they were observing fast days, but having lost the purpose behind their fast, the Lord is kind of calling the purpose or the motive of fasting back to their mind and their attention by basically asking some questions. And the Lord was posing the questions not because he necessarily needed an answer. Uh, He's the mastermind of questions that a lot of times whenever he asks a question, it wasn't necessarily because he needed some type of verbal answer But within the question, he was prompting whoever was being asked to think, to consider. And so uh, the Lord knew what they had done or what they had not done, but he wanted them to consider what they had done or what they had not done. And so he questions them for the purpose uh, of posing a truth within the question. And so he asked them the summation, I believe, of these two verses that I read to you tonight. And I read this some time ago from uh, Pastor Anthony Mangan, his, his reply or his, his uh, commentary, if you will, on these two verses. He said, basically sums it up in this, that when we eat, we feed ourselves. The Lord asked the question, whenever you eat and drink, did ye not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? He said, so he said, when we eat, we feed ourselves, but when we fast, we feed God. He said, whenever you fasted, did you not all fast unto me, even unto me? So when we eat, we feed ourselves, but when we fast, we feed God. So food satisfies you and I, but fasting satisfies God. Amen. I I thought today that scripture just quickly came to my mind in Psalms where David is writing, he's speaking in terms of the Lord, and the Lord said, if I were hungry, I would not tell thee. Amen. Amen. And God gets hungry too. And the way though which he is fed is through our uh, uh, fasting, through our withdrawing uh, from satisfying our own hunger. And so whenever we consider the idea of fasting or this discipline called fasting, it goes all the way back. Might I say the lack of fasting goes all the way back to the very beginning. Many times we don't view it as going back that far, but in in essence it does. The lack of the discipline of fasting goes all the way back to the very beginning because simply in Genesis chapter number 2, Adam and Eve ate when and what they should have fasted. Amen. And as a result, Adam and Eve traded then as a result of that They traded fellowship with God for food. Amen. They traded their fellowship with God for food. And so, in like manner, whenever you fast, it reverses that. Amen. A lack of fasting, I could say, uh, broke the fellowship between God and man. But a practice of fasting will re-secure or help mend and maintain the relationship between God and man. There are many spiritual disciplines in the Bible. 
we talk about them and I pray that we talk about them often and there's a reason and a purpose for that because uh, they are disciplines and it takes discipline to be disciplined. Amen. And so whenever we talk about things like prayer as a spiritual discipline, Bible reading and devotion as a spiritual discipline, even this past Sunday on Sunday morning speaking about giving, giving is a spiritual discipline. Along with that is fasting. And uh, most, if not all, of those uh, disciplines I just mentioned to you tonight, uh, the Christian does have a basic knowledge of, a basic understanding of. But if you have been a Christian for any time, these subject matters have been taught or preached from this pulpit over the past 20, 20 or some years. Amen. And from my, from my survey over my life as being a young man reared in the church, participation in prayer and fasting and giving and Bible reading, all those things usually do not fall because of a lack of knowledge or at the knowledge level. Usually these things fail at the participation, the practice level. It's not that we don't know about prayer or we don't know about Bible reading or fasting or giving for that notion. It's not because of a lack of knowledge. It's just a lack of practice, a lack of application. And so I have found even through the years, and perhaps some of us could even raise our hand, that even seasoned saints have found themselves at times struggling and fighting with a prayer life or struggling or fighting with Bible devotion had your highs and you've had your lows and there's been times it's been very good and consistent and other times though it's been as changeable as the Indiana weather or Illinois weather uh, for that matter and so in each of these things these spiritual disciplines uh, our enemy gains the upper hand in our life if we surrender any one of these or we become less than consistent in any one of these because these are powerful weapons these are powerful tools and if we choose to disembrace or we grow slack embracing them then we've surrendered a powerful weapon and our enemy gets a upper hand over our life in certain areas as a result of that there, there is a certain level of vulnerability that we open ourselves up to when we refrain from some of these elementary spiritual disciplines I know we could have testimony service tonight about I'll give a case in point something that happened whenever my 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 prayer life was suffering I can give a case in point when something was happening when this was suffering and so they're very important and folks it, it, I know it seems sometimes like a no brainer then why in the world do we do what we do because those are the playing fields that we're most battled on many times. Why is it such a struggle for those things? Because not only are you aware through Scripture, but your enemy is aware. Also, how vitally important those things are. And so, yeah, he's not going to make it easy. Amen. All of these things are not just happenstance and accident that they become well and good in your life. You purposefully got to put your feet down and grit your teeth and, and do it and you're still going to have times of fighting. Why? The enemy of your souls knows how valuable 
these things are. And so if they're that valuable that he would want us to just let go and give up, that should raise an awareness in us how much more we should fight with all the vigor inside of us that we have. If he wants me to let go of this, if it's that important to him, how important should it be to us as a church? Amen. So you use these tools. You use prayer. Man, that's a powerful tool. You use the daily Bible reading that you ingest into your life. That is a powerful tool. They all, we all can benefit from prayer. We all can benefit from God's word. We can benefit from giving. We can benefit from fasting. But listen to me. Here's the key, folks. Prayer alone is, is powerful. Bible reading in and of itself, powerful. Any one of those that I've mentioned, powerful in and of themselves. But listen. Personally, and I believe in scripturally, that the benefits and the power of these grow exponentially whenever you begin to couple them together. Woe and behold, would our adversary have a nervous breakdown if a person's prayer life was consistent along with their Bible reading life, along with their giving life, coupled with their fasting life the old song you say he'd be in the phone booth down 911 because he had emergency on his hand right here because the power and the effectiveness and the benefits of those men just go out the ceiling whenever you couple all these things together but what happens what happens for the most part he wants us to get it right here but then lessen it here it's like trying to keep all the boats on something vibrating tight you know, you tighten this up, and while you're doing that one, this one's coming loose. Isn't it? He doesn't want you to get all the boats tied at the same time because he knows if you do, you're going to have a rigid, for sure, air perfect, packed plan without air if you get it all together. And so is the practice of fasting. We talk a lot about prayer, we talk a lot about, a lot about uh, Bible reading. I don't think that necessarily even in the church age that we talk a whole lot about fasting. Yet it's vitally important. And perhaps the reason why we don't talk about it, and the others do as well, but fasting really goes against human nature. Really goes against human nature. Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, 29, he said, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth... <laughs> and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church he said no no, no man's ever hated his flesh when it gets hungry he's going to feed it he's going to nourish it he's going to make sure it has something to eat we have a tendency of taking care of he has a tendency of taking care of his own needs even sometimes before he take care of the needs of somebody else he don't hate his own flesh he's going to take care of his own needs uh, years ago a uh, minister said to me I'll never forget it I've, I've said it several times myself just in a joking way and, uh, and he said I tell you what he said I, I, I just fast between meals just fast between meals and that's humorous on a certain, a certain line but there might be some truth with that instance as well amen so we live in a generation that we like to nourish our own flesh can I say even the studies for our day we've been guilty of overnourishing in some respects we have fulfilled nobody get nervous I'm not tracking down the line of gluttony or anything like that tonight <laughs> 
But we fulfilled the words of Paul in many respects of Philippians 3.19 whenever he stated, whose God is their belly? Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Well, I'll take a drink of water on that. <laughs> I really feel angry. really do. Ask those people how big their God is. All right. Oh, Lord, help. We're in the quagmire now. The practices that I made mention of you tonight, though we see, we see mentioned in the form of the Sermon of the Mount that Jesus ministered. And whatever he ministered his Sermon on the Mount directed to the multitudes more specifically honed and focused for the disciples. Uh, these items of prayer, Bible reading and such, fasting, uh, were not portrayed as optional. They were conveyed as common observances, as something that they did. If you'll remember back the Lord's Prayer that we did a series on, been some time ago now, in that prayer the Lord taught the disciples there a line that says, give us this day our daily bread. The bread that he was speaking of was more than just natural bread. It was more than just uh, your natural needs, the daily physical needs that you needed in your life to be met. But he was also alluding to the words of God, more plainly spoken as the Bible. In Jesus' wilderness testing, where the enemy come and, and, and tested him, he retorted to Satan in one of the temptations. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Daily bread then was the daily Bible consumption that was spoken of there in the Sermon on the Mount. Furthermore, uh, prayer, giving, fasting, all those things are spoken of in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, uh, as givens, not as options. In Matthew 6 and verse number 2, uh, the Bible says this. I just want to grab a phrase there. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, not if thou do thy alms, but when. It wasn't a point if, if you do it. You're going to do it, so when you do it. So and so forth. So you're going to give. It was understood. In verse number five of the same chapter, we looked at this during the Lord's Prayer. And when thou prayest, it's not that if you will or if you want, won't, it's you are going to, but when you do, this is how it should be done. So again, it's a given. In Matthew 16, 6, 16, the Bible says, Moreover, when ye fast. Not if you fast, and perhaps you, you think you no no no. It was a, it was a common observance. It was a given. You're going to fast. So when you do, here are some guidelines. Here here is some instruction on how to do it. So it's not if you do your alms, not if you pray, and not if you fast. It is when you do your alms, when you pray, and when you fast. So the need is very simple play, uh, stated right there that, that whenever Jesus stated moreover when you fast that he expected his disciples, the multitudes, the people to fast. It's conclusive then that we as a people should and ought to have periods of time, days, or if we feel impressed the Lord call us for longer to fast regularly. Amen. Now, Here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. Primarily to fast, the Old Testament it meant to cover the mouth. Or literally meant to cover the mouth. Or to abstain from food. And that's hard, isn't it? 
cover your mouth, to abstain from food. Now, whenever we talk about fasting concerning Scripture, remember, this is just an overview tonight, all right? We could spend weeks probably on this, all right? This is just an overview. But whenever we look at Scripture, people fasted. You can look in the Old some people fasted for part of a day. Yeah. You can see where people fasted for a complete day, a 24-hour session. And for that, you remember that the evening and the morning was the first day. Their day was from evening to evening. Matter of fact, I recommend if anybody just has a hard time doing a day, like from the time you get up until the time you get up the next morning, that's difficult for you, try fasting from evening to evening. Yeah. And so they had times that there were three-day fasts. We are recording Scripture. There's seven-day fasts recorded of in Scripture. There's 21-day fasts recorded of in Scripture. There's 40-day fast recorded of in Scripture. 21-day fast is what the craze is in the world today called the Daniel fast. Yeah? Eat your fruits. Eat your vegetables. Abstain from your meats. Don't eat any pleasant bread. No leavened bread. All right? And so on and so forth. And so they ha- there's a lot of different episodes of fasting through Scripture. There's times that they fasted food only. There's times that they fasted food and water. There's times that they fasted at least some kinds of food. That would be the Daniel's fast. All right. So there's a lot of variation. So uh, if you're getting in your mind, well, I can't do this because I got to go on a 40-day fast and I can't have any food and I can't have any water. Listen, there's a whole lot more fast than just that illustrated throughout God's word. And I'm sure you can find something in there that you'd be able to do. Amen. Daniel, whenever he first came unto the Babylon where he was and he was first among the people, uh, he said, just prove me for 10 days. Just give me pulse. Just give me some vegetables. That's basically what pulse was, vegetables and water and see if the end that our countenance isn't better and we ain't more pleasing. So he went on a fast, just he had vegetables and water. Amen. But God honored that and he found favor in the eyes of those who were among him just for even doing that. So in the Old Testament time, there was a regulated day of fast in the Old Testament time. It happened on the Day of Atonement. Amen. They were to set aside the Day of Atonement for a fast day. On this particular day, the people were, according to Leviticus 23, 27, and you don't have all these, Sister McGee. These are just buzz points, some of them. Leviticus 23, 27, the Bible says, on this day, the people were to afflict their souls. Someone says, now that sounds like fasting to me. (laughs) Yeah. They were to afflict their souls. Now, Brother McGee, how in the world do you know that that meant fasting? Because the Bible states in Isaiah 58, 58 is a good, great chapter, predominantly absorbed by the subject matter of fasting. All right, and in Isaiah 58, verse 5, he says, is it such a fast? And he, he defines this afflicting the soul by a question of parallelism. He has two statements. They mean the same thing. He just says it differently. All right, and he says, the question is, is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? That's how I know whenever he said, we're going to take some time on the day of atonement for the afflicting of the soul, he was talking about fasting. Someone says, now nah, you're preaching, preacher. I can identify with the affliction of the soul. I can identify with what I go through whenever I fast as affliction. Amen. And so that's the reason why we cringe when we hear that word fast. Imagine this. I wonder how counterproductive it would be if we would call everybody for a few days of affliction. 
church is going to go on seven days of affliction coming up, you know. I have five days of affliction. Never, instead of asking everybody to fast. Amen. We were here a few weeks ago. And, and then, again, in accordance with Scripture, we ask, you know, people just to take some fast days. I guess we could ask everybody to take an affliction day, you know. Take an affliction day for yourself. But by the time we get to the New Testament, the Pharisees had done what they often do. They took a spiritual discipline and they made it legal bondage. They had the wrong motive, the wrong attitude in what they were doing. Insomuch, the Bible speaks that there is a Pharisee that goes to pray and a publican. And the Pharisees over there, of course, where everybody can see him and loud enough so everybody can hear him. Lord, I'm glad I'm not like this publican. I fast twice a week. Yeah. I give alms of all. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. So in earshot of all this, he's talking about fasting twice a week during his prayer, and I say prayer loosely. He says, I fast twice a week. The importance behind this is that the Pharisees had made this without the proper motive. They are doing this twice a week without the proper motive. And hear me, hear me very well on this. I have it emboldened in my notes because I think it's important. And that is this. When a practice loses its purpose, it is diluted to meaningless procedure. When your prayer loses its purpose, and every other, uh, these other spiritual disciplines lose their real purpose, their real motive. They've just diluted down to a meaningless procedure, just a ritual, just a formalism that you go through that has no meaning. Amen. And so because of this Pharisee and the way that they have practiced this, amen, and other similar happenings, happenings Jesus then properly instructs his disciples about what is proper or improper whenever it comes to fasting. In Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 16, back there again, the Bible says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, Wash thy face, that thou appear unto that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. He says, number one, one of the do nots whenever it comes to fasting, don't carry around a sad countenance. Just start a three day fast. You know what people are trying to get out of that you know because what is the typical question that people ask whenever they see your countenance not as it usually is what is it what's wrong with you and that just opens the gate for you to say oh I'm on a three day fast Amen. But the Lord says, he says, hey, man, anoint your head. Wash your face. Carry your same countenance as you would carry as if you're, you were eating. All right. Go on out and, and be who you are. And he says, you don't have to tell anybody about what you're doing. 
He says, because my all-seeing eye knows what you're doing and what you're doing in secret, I'm going to reward you openly for. Now, I want you to note that that's not necessarily to say that all of a sudden somewhere in the process of your life, during or after you fast, something's going to happen. There's going to be a boisterous voice from heaven that says, this is because they fasted. All right? But what he's meaning is there's something that's going to materialize in your life that you're not going to do anything but be able to point that back to God. And he says, I'm going to point it back to a sacred time that you had that nobody else knew about, but I knew about, I was aware of, and you and I are going to know this is a result of all of that that took place back there. Amen. And so, you know, and I, I try, and I know we've done this around here, and I... You know, I know, I know the reason, the purpose behind, but I don't know if necessarily we need to do it. You know, we do media fast. You know, you fast various things, but we do media fast and our stuff. But man, I see some people sometimes. You know, they 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 they'll, they'll put it on Twitter or Facebook. You know, I just we started a five day fast at our church. Well, that's kind of counterproductive scripturally. You understand what I'm saying? Because, you know, so I know some people doing that because they're saying, don't ask me out to eat this week, you know. <laughs> or don't bother me because I'm on a fast. <laughs> well, Lord, man, I'm really wading in deep, and this is just an overview, you know. <laughs> just as well as broadcasting it before, you know, like coming on after it's said and done, saying, well, I just got over my three-day fast. You know? I broke it with, you know, uh, juice and crackers. Yeah, seriously, you've ever seen some of this stuff? I have. I know it. Kind of counterproductive. Amen. So fasting, though, should be a part of our Christian experience just as much as prayer and Bible reading. Let me say this. Any extended fast, any extended fast should absolutely be prompted by God. Don't you think, well, you know, Brother Blojo went on 21-day fast. You know what? Man, that sounds kind of neat. Yeah. I think I'm going to go on 20-day fast. Man, he's pretty spiritual. I think, yeah, that's just what I need. Yeah, you better think that's what you need if you heard from heaven about it. Amen. <laughs> the Bible states that they should be fast that has been chosen by God, according to Isaiah 58.6. That fast that he has chosen. I don't think you're going to, you know, push up tulips over a day, a day fast. But whenever you start getting into lengthy and prolonged fast, you better make sure that you've heard from heaven. That heaven wants you to go on such a lengthy fast. Amen. In Matthew chapter number 4, and I'll get practical before it's all over, all right? But Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Now note, the Spirit, back to verse 1, the Spirit led Jesus, I say namely three things, into the wilderness to be tested of the enemy and for his fast. The Spirit led him for the fast. Now there are some that say, and I'm here to beg the different, but there are some today that Jesus fasted 40 days without food or water. I beg to differ somewhat. The Bible says that Jesus fasted those 40 days and 40 nights, and he was afterward a hunger. 
I'm just going off of what's not said in Scripture. It doesn't say anything about his thirst. For that matter, when the enemy come to test him, one of the testing points was turning stones into bread. That's food. Nothing had to do with liquid, with drink. Furthermore, in Luke 4, 2, where we have the harmony of the gospels, the same story, it, we are told that he ate nothing. But there's not anything said or indicated about his liquid intake. So I'm just deducing that from what is not said, all right, in Scripture. For one thing, your bodies, all right, here's just some typical wisdom here. Your bodies cannot do without water for 40 days and 40 nights. Unless there's some type of supernatural intervention and you absolutely heard from heaven. We're going to know if you heard from heaven if you went on a 40-day fast without water. <laughs> said, I heard from heaven he was going to call me home soon. <laughs> said, your days are numbered. Go on a 40-day fast with no water. <laughs> Amen. I'm serious. Supernatural intervention. Because Moses and Elijah both went on very extended fasts, what I would call a complete fast, that is without food and without water. All right? In Exodus 34, verse 28, the Bible speaks of Moses in his 40-day, 40-night adventure on the Mount of God that he neither, neither did eat bread nor drink water. Amen. 40 days, 40 nights. No food, no water. But he lived to tell the story. Elijah, on the same token in 1 Kings 19, it's speaking to Elijah. He was being told a couple times to eat and drink. And then after doing so, he went in the strength of that, eating what he had ate and had drank for 40 days. Amen. You must have supernatural intervention in order for that to happen. And those are the only two that I know of in Scripture that had that. And they seem to be pretty supernatural altogether. For one thing, Moses is the law giver. Elijah is the law restorer. Amen. And quite honestly, at the end of Moses' life, that was a supernatural taking of his life and with Elijah he had a supernatural taking of his life and both Moses and Elijah are found on the Mount of Transfiguration by a supernatural thing after so they're pretty supernatural so don't be endeavoring taking on a 40 day fast without any water for the most part they say that if you're going to go beyond three days without water you better think twice because our bodies can usually only go about three days without water so you better have heard from heaven. Now, I can say, people, you can make a 21-day fast. Amen. You might need water, though. I have a personal friend of mine. I know right now I could take you to him that went on a 21-day fast of water only. But again, you want direction from God on prolonged fast. Just don't jump on the bandwagon because it's passing you by. Now, Brother McGee, you sound like you're putting up a pretty good case for not fasting. <laughs> no. And because I don't want to put you in a perpetual stage of not fasting, because everyone's saying, well, I haven't heard from God, hasn't spoke to me to fast. That's what I'm getting now, right? He just opened the door. Ka-ching! God hasn't talked to me. I haven't seen no vision riding on the wall. Uh-uh, I haven't heard nothing about a fast. That's right. He told me to plant vineyards and, and to farm the land, and I haven't heard anything about a fast from God. I haven't felt impressed by his spirit to fast. You've already heard to God, you've already heard from God about fasting whenever he spoke to you by his word. The Bible says in Mark chapter number two and verse number 19, and Jesus said unto them, 
can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Because there come some people, Pharisees again, wrong motive and everything. They're saying, you know, Lord, and, and some of the disciples of John, what, what in the world are your disciples not fasting for? He said, we fast, why aren't they fasting? And so his response to them is this, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come. When the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, then shall they fast in those days. Now, he wasn't just, he wasn't there speaking about some literal uh, 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 wedding adventure that was taking place. He was speaking in a figurative sense concerning himself, him being the bridegroom, if you will, of the church. Because as long as the guest and the bridegroom were around, man, it's a time of celebration, a time of rejoicing. Woohoo! You know, but whenever the bridegroom leaves, he said, There's going to come a day that I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be taken from here. I'm going to be got, caught away from the earth. And whenever that day comes, he says, It's going to be very much so needful and necessary in those days that they fast. And so, since the time that he has been taken away, from this earth and ascended up into heaven until he returns again, it is the proper days for the church to fast. Amen. Amen. Just want to share just a couple of scriptures. Just take a moment. Just a couple of scriptures about fasting. The idea of coupling that along with your prayer. Again, Isaiah 58 is predominantly about fasting. And according to this chapter of Isaiah, fasting has a special means of empowering our prayers, even more so than them just being prayed. Empowering our prayers, and not only that, but have the ability, fasting coupled with prayer, has the ability then also of necessitating a response from God when we couple fasting with prayer. It relays that whenever you and accept the invitation to fast as unto the Lord, as what the Lord has chosen for you, that then, it says in verse 9, that you should pray. And it says, then the Lord will answer when you couple your fasting with your prayer. Jesus even told his disciples that came to him a little bit uh, troubled whenever they were questioned uh, they questioned the Lord, Lord, why couldn't we cast the devil out of that, that young boy that sometimes cast himself into the fire and sometimes into the water? And the Lord's response to them was, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Again, folks, I've relayed this more than one times. We want to fight spiritual battles with spiritual tools. And it so happens that whenever you start contending with the enemy, uh, demon possession, you better have some tools of prayer and fasting. Amen. Prayer and fasting. Furthermore, the power of coupling fasting with prayer. Judges chapter number 20 speaks of a storyline. At this, that time, the tribe of Benjamin has done something horrific. As a result of that, all the other tribes are very upset at the tribe of Benjamin. As a matter of fact, the other tribes are grouping themselves together to overtake Benjamin, to war against Benjamin because of what he has done. And so they gather their troops together, all the other tribes, and then there's the Benjamites. Now, just notice the odds that are right here. All the other tribes numbered at 400,000 
That's a lot of people. You agree? 400,000, quite a few. A little bit more than what we got around here, but you know. 400,000. The tribe of Benjamin in and of itself, 26,700. That's a pretty big difference. So we have the 400,000 that's going against the 26,700. They go up to battle. The Bible says they, got count, they counseled with the Lord. They prayed. They go up to battle and the 400,000 come back with their tail tucked between their legs. They were defeated by the 26,700. You know what they thought? Well, man, we'll just get dead. We'll just, we'll pray a little longer. <laughs> and they go up a second time having counsel with God. They prayed. They go up again. Man, we're going to do this. We got 400,000. They go up there. They come back the second time defeated again by that meager group of 26,700. And they're coming back, you know, with their tail tucked between their legs. Guess what? They're going to go up a third time. Now, how many times you got to do this, folks? They're going to go up the third time. But this time, Sister Rhonda, along with counseling God, praying, the Bible says they fasted. Third time. First two times prayer alone, they got their tails whipped. Third time, they prayed and they fasted. And that 400,000 go up and the Two times before, they'd just been defeated by these same people. Just a little space of time has elapsed. I mean, just days. And now they go up with prayer and fasting under their belt. Guess what? They win. Prayer's powerful. Any of these things are powerful. But whenever you start coupling them together, and you add word and prayer and fasting and giving, you start adding all these things together. Let me tell you, the church becomes a force to be reckoned with. Whenever you begin to do that. I'll hurry along now. I understand. My time is, is waning. Just a few, few tips. Just a few tips. What to expect. Some of the things that you may expect. For one thing. Whenever you go on prolonged fast. And there is no food in your stomach. Your body's going to start living on. I know it's hard to believe. The surplus fat that's in your body. All right. And whenever that dwindles down and goes away, it begins, it is a real, it is healthy. Fasting is healthy. There's a lot of health gurus today that will admonish you to fast. People do it for that reason. We do it for a, a, a spiritual health reason. Amen. But there is a physical health reason for it as well. Because whenever you fast, all the waste and decaying tissues in your body, your body begins to consume them. Why do you think that whenever Daniel came from his fast, even the vegetables and water, that his countenance was even more clear and pure than the others? Because whenever you go through a fast that's prolonged, it's like hitting a reset button on your body. Now, don't worry, you're not going to start sucking your thumb and, and all this other stuff. But your countenance, your digestive system, there have been people that have had digestive problems. You'd think the last thing you want to do for a digestive problem is go on a fast. But they went on a fast, and as a result of a prolonged fast, their digestive problems have vanished because it is a hit of a reset button. So you have all this going on, so you have a spiritual cleansing, you have a physical cleansing that's taking place. And let me tell you something. Bold letters, whenever you start your fast, probably, I, I'm, okay, I'm just saying, uh, typically, I'll just say it like that. I don't want to put anybody under an umbrella they don't want to be under. I don't have that problem, maybe that's your attitude. But for the most part, you're going to crave food. Especially if you're a diehard ritual. You know, you have a cup of coffee and donut in the morning. 
Honey, that glazed donut's going to look fine. And let me say this concerning the coffee. If you're a caffeine consumer, man, fasting just went to a new level for you. Because you're going to have a headache. Let me recommend this. If you're going to go on a prolonged fast, do without the caffeine the day before you ever start the no food. So that you can fight with your headache without also fighting with that. Because you know what? A lot of people, if they have the headache and they also have the stomach thing going, they're going to give in. They're going to quit. So go on and get off the caffeine before you start the food because you might not want to make it dealing with both. Said, I'm sick in the head and I'm sick in the stomach. <laughs> Amen. You're going to crave food. And guess what? Somewhere along the journey, you're going to feel a little weak, maybe. Might feel a little faint-hearted. Might feel a little fainty altogether. I know if you continue on a long fast, that somewhere along the way, that begins to wane somewhat. And where you was weak, you start feeling some strength. Now, I know that don't make sense, but whenever your body starts detoxing and getting rid of all this junk, Man, there's a renewed energy that comes along the way if you stay with it. Now, here's some other things. This is, just, this is just practical stuff, all right? I don't have scripture and verse for you, just experiences, all right? You will get a bad taste in your mouth, probably. Your tongue might feel a little cold, and you might not want to talk to people this close. Not so much for your benefit, but for theirs. You're getting rid of toxins. It's going through liver, but it's also coming out your mouth. You got bad breath. I don't know how else to say it. Well, I do, but I'll just use it because we understand that. It's bad breath. Amen. You might have, you might have some moments of sleeplessness. Yeah, your pores too. Come through your pores. You stink all over. You have some moments of sleeplessness. I know personally that I've had that man just toss and turn with sleeplessness as a result of fasting. You might have some times that you may even feel this goes without saying, some discomfort right in the old stomach and digestive system. I will never forget one time, and just again, you know, there's wise ways to start and come off a fast. I'll never forget one time. I feel like I should go on a three-day fast. I really did. We was evangelizing. Man, I just went cold turkey and did it, and I done felt like I got some type of gastrointestinal virus that rocked my world like there was nothing going on. Amen. Now, you're going to have some discomfort. But you shouldn't have to assume the fetal position with tears coming down your face. And <laughs> All right. You might, experience, you might experience some nausea. You might experience some dizziness. You might experience some dizziness. And all that's part of fasting. If you, don't, if you don't read and educate yourself like that, some of those indicators are going to say, oh, my goodness, I'm on the verge of dying. I'm going to have to give up. But that's not the case. You'll make it. You will. you make it. Sometimes you just got to wait out the storm or even sometimes in people's like that, they might want to just drink a little juice just to help get them past that point or whatever. And you know, that's not like throwing the baby out. Oh, God, failed God. This is horrible. Not only that, I've already been three days without food. That was no good. You know? No, 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 no. God understands. He knows where you're at. Amen. And before you start fasting, you know when we do our five or seven day fast, we usually have, you know, uh, toast and crackers and we have juice. A very good thing, though, if you don't want to go two days in or whatever, you're going to fast, start fasting tomorrow. Is like the day before, try to just keep a diet of fruits. And one of the important reasons why you just keep a diet of fruits 
is because that's going to be in your stomach whenever you start without any food. And fruits don't putrefy like meat does. And it's going to be a whole lot less vigorous upon your digestive system if you just stay with some fruit that isn't going to putrefy. Now, y'all laughing. Somebody going to thank me later. I'm here to tell you right now. I'm going to putrefy in your stomach. You know, I remember this. Years ago, years ago, we used to do seven-day fast back at the first church. Didn't you guys remember that? Did those seven-day fast? I will never forget this. This is what we did, and we were so stupid. I'm sorry, all those that was with me. <laughs> we was, you know what we do Sunday night after church? Man, I remember mom making a huge old casserole. Man, making something big, pasta whole nine yards. What are you doing? Man, we're packing like a camel ready to go across the desert. Stupid! Should have never done that. That's what we did. Should have never done that. Lord, help. We waiting ourselves. No, let's not even talk about it. I brought it up, I know. You come out of fast. Now, this was, this was just here recently. Uh, Brother Nate Whitley, which is with the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Brother Martin Cole's son-in-law, he just wrote a book about the lost art of spiritual disciplines. In that, he talked about fasting. But this is just a case in point. You can come out of fast wrong. He said whenever he started one of his lengthy fasts one time, he said he had never talked to no elder. He never consulted with anybody. I really didn't know much about it, but he just felt like he needed to do it. And so he did. But he knew whenever he started, Brother Fred, he said, I already knew whenever I broke my fast. I was going to get my, my favorite sandwich at that deli place with the hot sauce on it. So whenever he broke his fast, he went to the deli, got his favorite sandwich, Jeff, and with the hot sauce. And it said it took him a few weeks, a few weeks to recover with his stomach and his digestive system from that. There's a proper way to come out. If you go, if you go into it easy, you've got to come out of it easy. You might need to come out of it with some with just some juices and some liquids and maybe as you can, you know, add some other more concrete food to that. And don't those think you're going to start eating the same proportions that you ate before. Because if it was any length of fast, believe it or not, your stomach started to shrink during that point of time. And so you're trying to cram everything you crammed into what you had to cram into before, but it's not there. So you're going to have some discomfort as a result of that, all right? <clears throat> And I'll close with this. You understand? This is just practical. I know. It's just nuts and bolts. Brother Mason's amused at me. And I say this just because. We think it was a given, but just because. Replace your regular mealtime of eating natural food with eating spiritual food. If you're not eating the natural food, if you have the ability... Read your word during that time frame you'd normally spend. Listen to a preaching service, teaching. Pray during that time, that normal meal time, because this, this, is, this is unto the Lord. It's, it's, I'm abstaining this to re-solidify that relationship, that, that, that fellowship that they avoided and abstained from in the garden but took the food. So we're trying to get back to that. And listen, folks, why are reasons, there are several reasons why a person can fast. You might be in, in the crux of needing a grand decision in your life to be made, and you want absolute direction, you may fast. 
You may fast for a personal revelation or enlightenment of Scripture. There are various, various purposes, and that's where a person could go in several weeks whenever you start talking about the various reasons why people would fast in Scripture or how it would help them. And I'll close tonight with this. This, over the years, has been a tremendous, a tremendous book. This is a tremendous book. This is an old book. I think the copyright is 1968. Yeah, 1968. The one I have right here in my hand is an 86. There's newer ones of this. Uh, the face of it probably don't look like that anymore. But I did look today. You can still get this on Amazon. You can get this on Google Books. And it's called God's Chosen Fast. And this is a very, very scriptural-based book concerning fasting. Not only that, it's very practical as well. You, you'll read the diary of someone who went on a 40-day fast that kept a diary and what they experienced along the way. And so this, if you have reasons for fasting, very detailed, biblically based. I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't just stand up here for any book and recommend it if I thought it wasn't going to be good for you because I know some you got to really weed through the bones to get to the chicken. But this book is very, very well founded on the Bible. And if you want to know about fasting and maybe saying, you know what, you know, I do pray and I read my Bible, but maybe that's an area that, you know, uh, I could be sensitive to God that he'd lead me into a prolonged fast, but I really just don't know the, the ins or the outs or how all that accomplished right here. God's chosen fast. It would be a great book to put with your Bible because it's biblically based. Look at the scriptures that it gives and uh, it would give you further information on that. God's I have two of these in my personal library. I'm not selling any of them. <laughs> But uh, I do have them. They're great books. God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. That's W-A-L-L-I-S. Arthur Wallace. Tremendous book. Fasting, 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 fasting. So who knows what shall happen here in the next few weeks. Because see, now I made everybody aware that just God, just let God do with your heart so someone might just get real sensitive. You never know. You might just feel like, you know, there doesn't have to be something traumatic going on in your life for God to call you to a fast. It don't necessarily be because there's a big decision. It don't have to be because there's demonic oppression. God can just call you to that place. Why? Because he likes being close to his people. Let me tell you, you get close. You get close to the Lord whenever you have some set-aside time. He manifests. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.